1 Samuel 11. Then Nahash the Ammonite came and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make it with you, that all your right eyes be gouged out. I will make this dishonour all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days that we may send messengers to all the borders of Israel, and then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the ears of the people. Then all the people lifted up their voice and wept. Behold, Saul came following the oxen out of the field, and Saul said, What ails the people that they weep? They told him the words of the men of Jabesh. God's spirit came mightily on Saul when he heard those words, and his anger burned hot. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the borders of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever doesn't come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. The dread of Yahweh fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. He counted them in Bezek, and the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. They said to the messengers who came, Tell the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you will be rescued. The messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you shall do with us all that seems good to you. On the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the middle of the camp in the morning watch, and they struck the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who remained were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. The people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring those men that we may put them to death. Saul said, No man shall be put to death today, for today Yahweh has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let's go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. All the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul the king before Yahweh in Gilgal. There they offered sacrifices of peace offerings before Yahweh, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So this is the third step of the process of Saul becoming the leader. We talked about steps one and two in the last chapter, where he was privately anointed by Samuel. That was step one. No one knew he was anointed, but he knew it. Step two, the Lord publicly chose him, so everyone knew but this is now step three, where he wins the approval of the people and they support him. And like any good leader, it's not enough to know that you're picked or that God wants you to do a job. It's, you, you can't be a leader without people and they you know, need to support you, otherwise you're not a leader. And so Sam, Saul goes through the three steps and the third step is this chapter. So in this chapter, the people of Jabesh Gilead, now this is a city that's over on the eastern side of the Jordan and Saul and most of Israel are on the western side of the Jordan. And um, apparently King Nahash um, of the Ammonites, now his name means snake. Uh, his name also means oracle. In other words, a prophecy or an oracle. So he's got, his name has two meanings. So King Nahash apparently had attacked city after city over there on the east side of the Jordan, and every time he would attack a city, guess what he would do? Gouge out the right eyes of the people that he would find there. And apparently, according to Josephus, this was so that they were unable to fight in battle. 
Now I was thinking about that, I thought it had to do maybe with archery, you know, because you'd use your eye to aim. Um, but that's not what Josephus said. He said that it was because when they were in battle, they would hide behind their shield and they would have, the shield would cover their face, but they would just have their right eye stick out behind the shield. So it was, it stopped them from being able to defend themselves in battle. Well, I guess it stops them from defending and attacking in battle. Plus, if you've only got one eye, your sense of perspective isn't very good. And, and um, so anyway, it was a thing that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was doing. He had apparently attacked quite a few cities. I think it's interesting because he was obviously attacking these cities over on the east of the Jordan, and no one on the west of the Jordan was doing anything about it. And we see all the way through the book of the Judges that different groups were oppressing the, the tribes, but the Lord would have to raise up a deliverer. So obviously the deliverer that's being raised up here isn't another judge, this time it's a king. And a king is someone in a permanent position who's going to have children who are going to take over, and it's going to become a, a, an institution in Israel, in theory, to keep the nation safe in a perpetual state, which of course doesn't actually happen, but that's in theory. So Nahash, is, he now comes to Jabesh Gilead. Now this was the town, you might remember back in the book of Judges, it's only probably 250 years earlier than this, where they had completely destroyed this town and killed everybody except for 400 virgins and given those virgins to the men of Benjamin. So um, Saul actually is quite likely descended from women from the town of Jabesh Gilead. But in any case, um, he um, hears this message and says, you know, Nahash is there, he wants, to, um, he wants to attack. If you don't come and defend us, we're gonna surrender. He's gonna gouge out the right eye of everyone. And surrendering was a smart move because it's, it saves lives. If you don't surrender, there's a battle, everyone dies. If you, especially if you think you're the weaker force, then you're better to surrender because from that point on, you belong to that other king. You have to pay taxes and tribute but at least they protect you and you can go on with a normal life. And um, so surrendering makes sense, except for in this case, he wants to gouge out the right eyes of everyone there. So uh, <laughs> not good. So Saul, of course, he, um, the Holy Spirit comes on him when he hears the news. He calls the Israelites to action. He rounds up 330,000 people. It says he marched them and he attacked in the morning watch. So the morning watch would be, I'm guessing the way I understand it is it's between three o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the morning. So he, he's attacked very early. He's attacked in the middle of the night when they're all still asleep. He's, he's attacked them in their tent and it says he attacked right up to the heat of the day. So round about till midday, it took maybe up to nine hours this battle to completely destroy the Ammonites so that they were, no two of them remained together, the Bible says. So if you think about that, they're all fast asleep in their beds and next thing, people are getting stabbed and attacked and people are waking up and they're in their pajamas or whatever they used to wear and they're trying to grab their weapons but they're hazy and then they, in the dark, you can't tell who's who, who's the goodies and who's the baddies, all of that. So it was a chaotic scene. Saul has a great victory and in this, process of doing this he passes stage three he actually wins the hearts of the israelites and they accept him as their leader and even those worthless fellows that were mentioned you know there were some people in the previous chapter that said who is this guy and they didn't like him um, people were saying let's put those worthless fellows to death but saul said no no one will be put to death so even in that process 
you know, he's showing grace and mercy and he's winning the hearts of all Israel to himself and he becomes a leader. Now, I noticed a couple of interesting things here which I cannot help but mention. When the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, they um, were discovering scrolls or versions of the Bible, like old scrolls, copies that we didn't have before. So I'm not sure if you know much about how the Bible works, but the original, you know, books were written, of course, on parchment. Parchment is animal skin. It's a scroll. So as they roll it and unroll it and they're using it, eventually over time it gets worn out. You know, like leather, even sitting on your leather lounge chair, eventually it starts to wear out, even if it takes 20 or 30 years. But you imagine a leather scroll that's rolled in and out and in and out, over and over and over, it starts to wear out. So people make copies. So, you know, they, they look at this, look at this, they read that, copy it down, and that's how we have copies today of these books. Now, the earliest copies we have of, um, like, say, for example, New Testament parchments, the earliest one, I think, is, you know, around about... 90 AD. Is it 90 or 140 AD? So we don't have the originals of the New Testament I'm talking about, but we do have copies. In fact, and some of the copies are very old. In fact, they may even be first copies. So um, that's, we're basically, when we translate the Bible or when people translate the Bible, they're looking to get the oldest of the scrolls, but they're also looking to see a variety of copies because they can compare them. And then they can see, you know, and this is how we get things accurately. So when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, you know, in around about uh, the middle of last century, they were finding older copies of the Old Testament books. And some of them were before the time of Jesus. So th this was a huge discovery. And amazingly, you know, th the, the Bible that we have now is so similar, in fact 99.99.99% similar to these old, old copies. It's incredible how accurately the Bible has been preserved. And there are, of course, some slight differences and often it would be, you know, copying mistakes where they'd be, they'd leave out a the, things like that. And um, the majority of the little mistakes that are made are like that. But occasionally you get a big difference or a big change. And um, sometimes people don't know whether the big change is someone's added something into this one copy, or sometimes they don't know whether they've left something out. We've got one in this chapter, and we've got one in two chapters from now, chapter 13, that are both quite interesting. So I'm gonna to read to you what was found in 4Q Sam. So 4Q Sam is the scroll that came out of Cave 4 in Qumran, the first scroll of 1 Samuel. And there's an extra verse. You bet you didn't know. <laughs> but this, this story has an extra verse. And it, it adds on before what we read. It's at the start of the chapter. Let me read it for you. It says, Now Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, had been grievously oppressing the Gadites and the Reubenites. He would gouge out the right eye of each of them and would not grant Israel a deliverer. No one was left of the Israelites across the Jordan whose right eye, Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, had not gouged out. But there were 7,000 who had escaped from the Ammonites and had gone to Jabesh Gilead. So you see there's like an introductory verse where it explains that Nahash had been attacking city after city and it says he had gouged out the right eye of everybody except for 7,000 men who had fled to the city of Jabesh Gilead and that's the setting for the book we just read. Is this verse Holy Bible like the rest of the Bible? I actually don't know. <laughs> 
but I, either way, I just think it's an interesting piece of background information and Josephus says similar things to this as well. I wanna close with a thought. In the New Testament, in Matthew chapter five, in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 29, Jesus said this. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter heaven um, you know, without your eye than to go to hell with two eyes. So that's really, really uncannily similar because Nahash, who was an evil man, his name meant snake, he was gouging out right eyes. And, uh, but Jesus is saying, if your right eye causes you to sin, it's better to gouge it out than to go to hell with two eyes. What's the go here with these two similarities? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I just noticed the similarity. And when I, the, the commentators that I read, none of them picked up this similarity. Um, so I, it's, it's not like anyone else seems to have an opinion as far as I'm aware. There might be people who have an opinion, but I'm actually not really sure about it. But I do have a few thoughts on it from the New Testament's perspective. Number one, the right eye seems to have to do with the idea of affection. And so it has to do with what we love. And if your affections, in other words, your right eye, if the things you love or your affections are set on things that are not good, you need to get rid of those affections because um, it's better to, to let's say, uh, just to pick a very stupid example, that the love of your life is fishing. And um, let's say that's all you can think about, but you realize it's consuming your life. Isn't it better to have a life with no fishing and go to heaven than to have a life full of fishing, catch lots of fish, but end up in hell? What does all the fishing do for you? Nothing. And so Jesus is saying it's better to chop out your affections, the things that are, if those affections are causing you to sin, you know, there are good affections too, but if there are bad affections taking you away from the Lord, better to remove them. And so I completely agree with what Jesus said there. And um, if we were to remove, you know, in this, in this chapter here, Nahash, the devil, he wanted people to remove their right eye for him, but wouldn't it be better to remove your right eye for Jesus? Definitely, I think. Better to remove your right eye for the Saviour than to remove your right eye for a snake. So Lord, that's what we want to do. We want to give you our affections. And Lord, we ask that our love for the things that are of God would grow and increase. That our right eye, our affections would be focused on you and upon the heart of God and upon the cross and upon Calvary and upon serving and upon loving and upon the word of God and on fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Father, strengthen us and help us in righteousness, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.